Amen. Well, you can open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Feels strange to say that because we've only been in it a short while and we're already in chapter 4. I'm going to figure out a way to slow down here once I come back from school. So don't you worry. We're going to, we'll figure out a way to spend more time in this. Um, but this is very just straightforward and very clear, although very rich. And so it's easy to move through with, with pace. But I'm excited for us to move into chapter four this morning because God is going to do so much. I'm so excited even just to spend this time with you in the word of God. And I don't know if you feel this way, I hope you do, but for me it is so satisfying to just sit and meditate upon God's words. It produces so much joy in me. It's satisfying. It's a rich desire, the desire of my heart. And I hope you feel that same way, that there was no other place that you would rather be than to just sit in and look around in, walk around in the word of God and what satisfaction comes from understanding it and then from living it out. And so this is a, a wonderful time to just look and soak up the word of God. And today we're going to glean all that we can from God's wonderful truth as we look to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. Let's start as we always do by reading the text. It says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Only two verses. Let's read it again. I want you to, my eyes have been on this text a lot. I want your eyes and your heart, your mind to begin to glean. So we might as well. Let's read it again. Give you another walkthrough of it. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. 
In this clear section of scripture, Paul is encouraging this church to be diligent in growing in their faith. To be diligent in growing in their faith. Paul wants them to constantly seek to grow. He wants them to move to new levels, to new heights, to new commitment in their knowledge and in their obedience and in their maturity. He doesn't ever want them to become comfortable or to say, I'm doing enough or I'm committed enough or I've grown enough or I need to scale back because it's a little bit hard. It's getting tiresome and difficult, but to keep striving towards maturity in their faith in every area so that their whole lives become consumed with Christ until the day that they die. The direction of the Christian life is perfection. And the Christian must keep that zeal until the end. He wants them to be a church diligent to grow. And so I've entitled this message, A Diligent Church, because that's exactly what he's calling them to be. What Paul wants them to be is to be diligent to grow, to take initiative, to keep the zeal, and to keep moving forward. Not to regress, of course, but not even to stay the same, not even to scale back, which is often a trick of Satan to get you to be stagnant because you need to rest. You're too busy. You've been working too hard. You've gotten up too many mornings of reading your Bible. You've served too much. And the list goes on. All the while, Satan is making you believe that you need to scale back in your zeal to grow in the Lord. There are many excuses that come in. I need to sleep in today. I have a busy day ahead of me, etc. And so Paul is calling this church not to stop growing. Sadly, this is often the opposite of the mindset among many Christians. Among many Christians who have accepted Christ and they've done a pretty good job at striving to grow in some ways or another, many see their worship towards God as something that they can give just a little bit of effort at other times more and at other times scale back. And oftentimes this comes from even an idea of compartmentalizing our faith. And so instead of seeking to grow in all areas, I'm going to compartmentalize my faith to this specific area And when I'm in this context, I'll seek to grow. And in every other context, I'll live my own life. 
We compartmentalize God. We make him only a, a part of our lives. And we want to keep it that way. The mindset of many Christians is they give God a certain amount of time, a certain amount of resources, but when it's their time, then it's their time, and God's time is over. And what this gravely misunderstands is the Bible's depiction of what it means to live for Christ, of the Bible's depiction of what it means to be living a life of worship to God. Daniel Block, in his book, For the Glory of God, Restoring a Biblical Theology of Worship, he traces the idea or the topic of worship throughout all of Scripture, and here's what he says. Listen close. He says, true worship, true worship involves reverential human acts of submission and homage before the divine sovereign in response to his gracious revelation of himself and in accord with his will. In other words, worship is man responding to who God is. It's man responding to who God is. And worship, true worship, involves living all of our lives in service to God. The goal is that every area of our lives would be in submission to him. And when it is, when our lives are that way, we're living in worship to God in response to what he's revealed about himself and what he's revealed about his ways. In light of God making himself known to us and his salvation known to us, we acknowledge that he's true, that he's the true and and holy God, and that his ways are right when we live all of our lives in dedication to him. That means our daily lives, our family lives, even our work and vocation, our participation in the corporate body, our desire to grow spiritually, our desire to fight sin, to submit to him, in every area of our lives is us being a people who worship him in every area. Scripture is very rarely focused on worship concentrated to one specific liturgical setting. We praise God here, but that doesn't define worship to just come here and sing. Worship is our, involves our entire lives in response to who God is. We obey, we submit, we grow, we, we serve, we share. We fight sin. We love him. And God desires for his people to worship him in every area of their lives. This is what we're told in Romans 12, 1. Turn there with me. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this. You're familiar with these words, but listen close. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen close here for just a moment. Okay, 
Chapters 1 through 11 of the book of Romans describe this great salvation that Christians have received, what Christ has done for us and how we've been saved. In chapter 12, he starts and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, in light of what Christ has done for you, present your bodies, bodies, literal meaning your body, like your physical body, service, and what you do and how you act in response to God's salvation. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. You know what a sacrifice was in the Old Testament? It was something which life was given up in worship to God. But you are to be one who lives, whose life is given up in worship to God in all areas in response to his salvation. That's what he's saying here. To live lives holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this idea here, spiritual worship, the ESV, I don't think does a good job at translating this. And the other translations, it might say your reasonable worship. And that's a better translation. What it means is this is your logical response of worship to God in light of what he's done. It's your logical response. So here's what you are to do. Listen close. In response to God's saving work in your life, you are to live your whole lives in worship to him. Every area is to be consumed by Christ, to be obedient to Christ, to be submitted to Christ, to be in service to Christ. That's just logical in light of his saving work in your life. That just makes sense. That's just the response. And so that's what he talks about. And as you proceed through chapter 12, he talks about this playing itself out in the person's service in the body of Christ. This only makes sense. And yet, listen, church, sadly, there are many Christians who fill churches Sunday by Sunday an attempt and desire to give God just as much as is comfortable. As much as is comfortable. They say, I'm going to give him this much and that's just enough. I'm not going to work on this area of sin. I'm going to become comfortable with certain sins maybe. Maybe I just have no real desire to grow. No real desire to spiritually mature. No real desire to become a leader in the church. No real desire to serve. I'm going to scale back when it starts to feel hard or begins to interfere with the rhythm of my life as though the point of life was to keep everything tranquil. Tell that to the apostles who were all killed. One of them exiled. And so we are to be people who worship God in every area of our life, lives in response to who he is and what he's done. And we are to continue to do this till every area of our life is consumed by his truth until the day we meet him. There are some Christians who have no desire for the pure spiritual milk of the word. Martin Lloyd-Jones says they come to church in order to go home from church. They're already looking forward to when they leave on their way 
in. There may be a variety of different symptoms that cause this spiritual disease, but it's a disease nonetheless. One of it could be that they're not truly Christians. If a Christian doesn't desire the pure spiritual milk of the word to grow up, something is wrong. They're sick spiritually. It could be that they're not Christians. We know that the scriptures de- de- declare that the path is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, the path is broad and easy that leads to death. We know it says that true believers will bear fruit, that the indwelling Holy Spirit will complete the work that God has started in them, that they will abide in his word as true disciples, that they take the call seriously to take up their cross daily and follow Christ as the conditions for knowing him. And so they know that if they desire to save their lives in this life, they'll lose them. So it could be that someone might not be a Christian if they don't desire to grow in this way and have their whole lives consumed in worship to God. You must keep in mind the real possibility of that person not knowing Christ. You must keep it in your mind, if that's you, the real possibility that you may not know Christ. And I say that in love because I want you to know Christ. But if that is not your desire to grow more and more, then that might be a symptom of you not having Christ at all. And yet another situation might entail a true believer who just needs to begin to excel. Maybe to repent and become more diligent. You've been stagnant long enough. You've been in the middle of the road for long enough. You've been a quintessential American Christian long enough. And now you need to become a biblical Christian. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Second Corinthians chapter nine, Paul gives us this principle. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap Bountifully, Paul is applying this self-evident principle in the context of giving here, but the principle broadens. It is well beyond just giving. And the idea is this. The idea is your spiritual effectiveness and your spiritual growth, your spiritual usefulness, your spiritual impact, your spiritual growth in the Lord will be proportionate to what you give towards it. In terms of your effort, your sacrifice, your time, your energy, if you sow sparingly, you will reap sparingly. If you grow, if you sow abundantly, you will reap abundantly. And it's simple. For those who desire to grow spiritually... And those who make more of an effort to do so, they will be the ones who grow more. It's simple. The ones who give up the most towards 
sowing the seed, the spiritual seeds of growth will be the ones who will harvest the most. Of course, there's factors that are involved in that principle, right? God must be involved with the rain and the sun and giving the growth, things that only he can control. But what we can control is what we sow. If you sow more seed in your spiritual life, you will reap more fruit in your spiritual life. And so we must do our part. So really, it may be that one is not a Christian if there's no desire to grow. It may be that one needs to begin to excel in ways they have never excelled before to move to the next level spiritually. And yet there still might be another situation in which the believer is growing and obeying and excelling and serving and striving and giving and witnessing, and they need to just keep going. They need to just keep going, to not let themselves stop, to not let themselves ever get to a place to say, you know what, I've tried for this long, and I gave it my all, and now I'm going to take a break or eventually give up growing. They need to make it the point of their lives to grow until the day they die, actively striving towards growth and impact in the Lord. And so some of you, this is you, you've been doing great. You've been striving, making every effort to grow in the Lord. And you need to keep going and to strive towards the next level spiritually and to be diligent to grow in the areas that the Lord calls you to through his word. And so this is where we find the church of of the Thessalonians. This is what Paul is saying to them. They've been doing great. You can turn back there if you're still in Romans. They've been doing great. They've been seeking the Lord. They've been striving. They've been obedient They've taken heed to the teaching. They've endured the persecution and suffering. And Paul is saying this, don't stop growing. Be diligent to keep pursuing spiritual growth, not just staying the same, but attaining another level of maturity. And what we find in this is two simple points. The points are this, the call to diligence in verse one and the grounds of authority in verse two. The call to diligence in verse one and the grounds of authority in verse two. That's what we see, which points us to this main point of Paul's call to diligence for this church. So let's look at the call to diligence. Let's look at the call to diligence. And I pray that you just take heed to these words because there's nothing that I can do to jump inside your heart or your mind or your spirit to make you care about what the Lord says. The Lord must do that work and I pray that he does because I want this to be the story of your life. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse one, it says this, finally then brothers, We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus 
that as you received from us how you ought to walk, to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Paul begins this section with the words, finally, then, brothers. Stop right there. As I mentioned last week, listen close. This point marks a transition in Paul's letter. It really begins in the previous section, the transition does, in verse 11. You see verse 11, it marks the transition with the word now, now. And this is where Paul is concluding the indicative portion of his letter and where he's transitioning to the imperative portion of his letter. Here's what Christ has done. Now here is what you are to do. And verses 11 through 13 serve as transitional verses. They are conclusive in terms of what he's just said. And they are introductory words to what he's about to say. They're both, verses 11 through 13. Here's what God has done in you in salvation. We pray that he would keep doing this work in you. That's what he says in verses 11 through 13. Or you could read it as, I pray that he would continue to do this work in you. Now, here is what you to do. You are to do. You see, it's, it's transitional. God's salvation, what he prays God would keep doing. What he prays God would keep doing, what they are to now do. It overlaps. To oversimplify it for you, he's saying, in light of your salvation, which is the focus of chapters one through three, we pray God would continue to grow you in your faith. Now, as we start chapter four, let's talk about you continue growing in your faith. So this is the transition. And it takes us, this new portion, starting in chapter four to the end of the book. There's really just two main sections. And so verses 11 through 13 focus on what Paul is praying that God would do in them. And in chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the focus is now on what they are to do. Here's what God has done in salvation. We pray God would keep working this in you. This is the hope and the goal for the church, your growth. Now, here is what you are to do. Here is what you are to do. Now, of course, God must be the one behind this work. But they are to put forth every effort. So, as we see this here, Paul points to the fact that they need to put forth effort. Paul has prayed that God would do this work. 
And he says, if this is going to happen, if this is the goal of the church, your growth, if this is the goal of the church, that you be made ready to meet Christ, which is what we talked about last week. If this is the goal of the church, that you would grow and overflow in love for one another. If this is the goal of the church, that your faith, what is lacking, may be supplied and you may become mature and complete. If this is the goal of the church, then let's move to what you must do to get there. That's exactly what he's saying. How you are to live this out. And we're going to talk about that for the rest of the time, Paul says. And so this is the word. He says, finally, then, brothers. In other words, in light of what I said, finally, let's move into this last portion and talk about what you are to do in light of what I want you to become. He calls them brothers. It's a general term that involves men and women, an endearing uh, term, and it points to their true salvation, and it points to their equality in Christ. This is a gracious term. It's an encouraging term. It's an endearing term. So in light of your salvation, in light of the fact that I want you to grow and overflow in love and be ready for the presence of the Lord, Let me talk about this lastly, what you must do. Now, I love this because Paul is going to get into some specifics as we move through chapters four and chapters five and chapter five. He's going to talk about sexual purity. He's going to talk about interpersonal relationships. He's going to talk about the rapture and the day of the Lord. He's going to talk about church harmony He's going to talk about submission to leadership. But to introduce all of it, he really gives this general word on spiritual growth in these first two verses. And so, listen, you might find various teachings in the New Testament that tell you about growth in certain respects, certain aspects, specific areas of life. Right? They might touch on certain doctrines or certain ways you are to grow. But if you're looking for a good place to glean the principles regarding just the idea of spiritual growth in general, the idea that we are to grow, where do I find verses on the fact that we are to have spiritual growth? Well, these are the verses. These are the verses that the believer is to be diligent to continue to grow in their faith in general. And so these are, are great verses about that, that we should never stop striving to grow spiritually. So Paul moves to this last topic in light of what he wants them to be. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's what he says. We ask you, verse one, and urge you in the Lord Jesus. We, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, the planters of this church, the ministers of this church, ask. And the word ask here is, it means ask. It's simply a request. It's a kind request coming from a spiritual parent in the Lord. I ask you to keep growing. And it has behind it some wisdom. He knows what's best. 
I ask that you would keep growing like a spiritual parent asking a spiritual child or a literal parent asking a literal child and ask you to keep growing. We might think that he knows the consequences if they don't. And so it's a a request. It's an intimate appeal. It's gentle. It's humble. It's caring. It's loving. It's kind to grow, to be ready to meet the Lord, to pursue spiritual growth in their lives. We ask that you would keep growing. But he says, we not only ask, we also urge. We ask and we urge you. And this urge is a a firm nudge. It's an exhortation. It's a Let me come alongside you and encourage you and tell you what's best. I urge you. And we see this in 2 Thessalonians chapters, chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. You can look there to kind of get the idea of Paul's meaning and tone here. Verse 11 through 12, verses 11 through 12 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 gives us the same word and idea. He says, therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false um, in order that they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth. Sorry, that's the wrong, those are the wrong verses there. 2, 11 through 12. I'll find it for you. We'll look. We'll look at a different one. Second Timothy chapter four, same, same idea here. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one through two. He says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. It's this charge. It's this urging. It's this moving into this idea of serious consequences As a result, turn to Titus chapter 2, verse 15. Now I'm making sure I got this verse right here. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. He says this. Do your what? Best to present yourself. Or that's 2 Timothy. Now I'm all screwed up here. Titus chapter 2, verse 15. It says this. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. And so this idea that the pastor is to exhort, he is to rebuke, and he's to do it with this authority. He's to do it with this great authority. And so that's the idea here that Paul is is doing this right here, right now, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, he is urging them. He's exhorting them with a level of authority. He's saying, I'm asking you, and I'm urging you as one who has the authority of the word of God. And so this is Paul's pastoral heart, right? This is both sides of of it for Paul. He's one who's loving, 
gentle, patient among them, kind. He's asking that they would keep growing in their faith. And yet, with the authority of God's word, he is urging them. He is coming alongside and firmly nudging them and telling them of what they are to do. And so Paul's combination of words here expresses himself as a brother in Christ, as a gentle shepherd, and as one who is encouraging them with authority. Now listen, the reason why Paul has this tone here is because this church is not in a state of disobedience. This church is not in a state of sin. They, they are already doing what Paul had told them to do. There's no reason for him to be overbearing on this church like he was to the church in Corinth, right? We read Paul says that he made them grieve by his letter because they were in sin. Paul doesn't have that tone here. He doesn't need to. He's asking them and he's urging them with authority. But they're doing a great job. And so here, this is what Paul is requesting of them. And what is it specifically? Look at it, verse one. That as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, that you do so more and more. But this is what they are already doing. Paul is saying, you are doing this and I want you to do it more. I'm asking, I'm requesting, and I'm urging you to do something that you're already doing, but to do it more. And keep in mind in verse one, he is urging them in the Lord Jesus. That's the authority behind what he's saying. This is not his own words. Listen now, I'm asking you, church, and I'm urging you, firmly nudging you with the authority of the word of God, with the Lord Jesus behind this urging. And he says that you received from us how you ought to walk and please God. Now listen, in other words, what Paul is saying here is, we taught you how to live. We instructed you. We gave you the word. We taught you what you are to do and who you are to be and how to live in a godly way, pleasing to the Lord. And that's what he cared about. He cared about instructing them on how to live according to the will of, of God. And so he says in verse one, you are doing this. Look at verse one. He says, just as we instructed you how you to, are to walk and to please God, that's what Paul cared about, that they would live a life pleasing to God. And they are doing this. They are living this way. They are doing a great job. But Paul, what he is saying here is, here's what you are to do now. You are to continue to excel. You're to continue to excel. You're to grow to a higher degree. Listen now, grow to a higher degree, a next level in your spiritual life. Just as we instructed you, just as we taught you the word of God, 
Just as we told you how to live an entire life, when the Bible talks about walking in the spirit or walking by faith, the idea is this whole life. It's this living. Just how we instructed you to live in a way that pleases God, how to obey his word, how to live according to his word, how to do his will as these new baby Christians are learning what it means to follow Christ. Just as we instructed you in this and just as you are doing, how does Paul know what they're doing? Well, because remember, he sent Timothy to check up on them and Timothy brought back a report And now Paul's writing in response to Timothy's report. He's saying, listen, Timothy came back and he told me, you guys are doing this. You're following our instruction. But Paul at this point doesn't say, now sit back and relax. He says, keep doing it more and more. Excel Excel, meaning all areas of your lives are to grow spiritually. You're to excel. You are to advance. You are to become spiritually extraordinary. 1 Corinthians 14 says, strive to excel. And here's the same idea applied to the personal lives of these people. That's the goal. That's what Paul wants them to do, to strive to excel. To do what they were taught more and more, to pursue growth, to strive, to be diligent, to contend for the faith, to not lose motivation, to not lose heart, to become holy and pleasing to the Lord, to not settle in. And so this is what Paul is calling them to do and calling them to be. And this is a general call before he gets into the specific. So let me ask you this idea. Let me ask you about this idea. Have you missed the reality that you are to grow more and more in your faith and you are to be diligent about it? Have you thought, you know, I've done a pretty good job. I've followed the Lord. I've changed. I've repented. I'm I'm pretty consistent now at church on Sundays. I've been reading my Bible and doing this Bible study that I have a little bit at a time. You know, I don't really live my whole life for the Lord. There's areas in which I know he instructs regarding my relationship with others, the church, sin, obedience, my marriage, sin, my work, vocation, etc. And I know I'm supposed to eventually get to those. But right now, I'm just going to scale back. I'll get to those. And I'll just see how things go and I'll live at a pace that's pretty comfortable for me in terms of my spiritual growth. Or are you looking at Paul's words here and saying, I need to excel spiritually. I need to be diligent to move to the next level in my faith. I need to pursue to grow more and more to sow abundantly until the day that I die. There is no stopping for you if you're a believer. You're on a train that is not stopping and you shouldn't want it to stop. You've hopped on and you need to go until the day that you die, growing in your faith, striving to obey the word, 
searching it diligently with all of your heart to mine all of the riches that come out of it, to live your life in obedience, in accordance with his will, to do exactly what he calls you to do in terms of evangelism and obedience and parenting and your relationship with others and the relationship with the church, discipleship, fighting sin. You are to understand various things, various truths in the word of God, and then do what he says when you read them. You are to be striving towards leadership in the church. It doesn't have to look like a position, but it can look like leading others spiritually. Your goal for the rest of your life is to become more like Christ. And this is not a passive pursuit. This is diligence. Sometimes people look at that as bad. Well, I'm trying to live my life of faith by my own effort. Yeah, but you swing to the other side of the pendulum then by giving no effort. It is true that the Lord is sovereign in your growth, but it is true that you are to work it out with fear and trembling as the Lord works it in you. It is him doing the work and your effort is alongside of it. If we have a church that is full of people who are the most eager, the most diligent, the most zealous to pursue spiritual growth, we will have a church full of spiritually mature people. You will grow in proportion to your effort spiritually. The reason why some of you are at a level of immaturity is because you put forth little effort. It's pretty simple. It's pretty simple. Look at Romans chapter 12. And I say that to urge you as as a pastor with love. But look at Romans chapter 12. We were here before. But it says in verse 11, do not be what? What? Slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Look up at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. What good is a gift from God if you don't use it? Use it. And how are you to use it? Use it with zeal. Don't be slothful in using it. That's God's call to our participation in the body. And that's just a microcosm of what you are to be spiritually. The true believer wants every aspect of their lives to be pleasing to God and to be as pleasing to God as they possibly can. So seek to grow, to continue to grow in your maturity and holiness. That's what Paul is telling this church. But not only do we see the call to grow, the call for diligence, but we see then secondly, in this very simple, straightforward passage, the grounds of authority. The grounds of authority, verse two. What is the authority behind what he's saying? What, what is, the, is the grounds that he is basing this instruction on? And, and not only what he's basing it on, but where to, to find the reason to do this. Well, he says in verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord. For, it's a transitional word. 
It signifies the grounds or the reasoning and the basis for what he's just asked of them and encouraged them in. And so in other words, you are to be diligent in your spiritual growth. Don't stop. If you think you've made it, keep going more and more and more and more because you are aware of the commandments, that's the better translation, for what you know, for you know what instructions, you know what commandments we gave you, which came from whom? The Lord Jesus. You're aware of, of the commandments we gave you from the Lord. So what would be the reason that you wouldn't be eager in all areas of your life to obey them? These are his words. You're aware of them. You remember them. And they are commandments from the Lord Jesus. And by obeying them, go back up to verse 1, you please God. Your whole life is lived for God. Remember in verse one, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and please God, it's implicit there what he's saying explicitly in verse two. These instructions that please the Lord, you're aware of them, right? Keep doing them more and more because you know that we gave you these instructions which are from the Lord Jesus. And so the Lord the divine master is behind the commandments that we gave you. That's what he's saying here. He's behind these commandments. This is what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This time I think I got it right here. You can move over there to verse 6 in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. What he's saying there is, we command you with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. These commandments have with it the authority of the Lord. Look down to verse 12. He says, he shows us a similar pattern there. He says, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. The idea is there's authority behind it. And that's what he's saying in chapter four, verse one of first Thessalonians or verse two, for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord, the authoritative words that came from God. They're binding. They're not optional. You are to obey and excel, and God will bless your life. And that's not a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That's just the true axiom of Scripture. Obedience yields blessing. Now, that might look different for all of us. But disobedience and to settle and to refuse to grow will yield God's discipline. And by the way, if you've settled and you're not seeking to grow in these areas and God has not brought about discipline in your life, then you should be more concerned because every loving father disciplines their child. 
And so you wanna make sure that you are truly a child of God. But you are not to settle. And verse 3a, I wanna point this out, could really have been attached to this portion. He says, for this is the will of God. We're gonna have that as in connected to the next portion, the next uh, literary unit, but it could really be attached here for another ground, another reason, another support of what he's saying, for this is the will of God. What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Your what? Sanctification. What's the will of God in my life? I'll tell you right now what the will of God is in your life, that you grow more and more. That's it. That you become sanctified in the truth. That's his will for your life. Right? That's pretty explicit. And so why should you grow more and more? Well, the commands that come from the Lord, they have authority. This is what you've been instructed in. Why wouldn't you? And here's God's will for your life. Ready? Your sanctification. And so this is what Paul commands them to do. To follow the Lord's will and to be sanctified, to grow in their faith. And so is this the goal of your life? Are you seeking to grow more and more in your faith because you understand the authority of the word of God? Do you understand that it's God's will that you be sanctified? You might be doing a great job, but don't stop. Don't settle. Don't become stagnant. Don't regress. Don't say I've made it far enough. I've committed enough. I've obeyed enough. I serve enough. You're, the point of your life is not tranquility. The point of your life is Christ-likeness. And this life is gonna be over really quickly. Probably quicker than most of us expect. Death is knocking on the door for all of us. There is no point to pursue any other thing with more zeal than to pursue spiritual growth in the Lord. And we are to do this because God's will for our lives is that we would be made more holy. And so I ask you, and I urge you to Respond to what you see in the word of God just as you are doing, trying to obey. But that you do it more and more. Grow more and more. Let's become an even more spiritually mature church. A more spiritually zealous church. A more servant-hearted church and loving church. Because this is God's will for your life that you grow. Let's pray. Father, we, we come and we ask you by your mercy and by your grace to take your word and to apply it to our hearts. We want your will in our lives because we love you, because we understand the authority of your commands, because we know that it is what's best for us, and so, Lord, I pray for these 
people. I pray for myself. I pray for our church that we would be people who are eager to grow in our faith and that you'd help us by your spirit to have that great zeal in us. In Jesus' name, amen.